Uh, hello everyone, my name's Ollie. if I haven't met you. Uh, it's really exciting to be here. We've had a great time on retreat, uh, as you heard. Um, we were safe and sensible. It sounds like we're running this out of control thing. I assure you, we're all, we're all good. Uh, everyone came back in one piece. Uh, I wanna, uh, I'm really excited about um, this thing called Open House that we're doing tonight. Just a chance, we want to meet new people and, and just share with others um, what we're on about and, and just kind of open house that you can kind of come and see, come and hear. Uh, but what a crazy year it has been. Uh, I, I found this video really funny but also kind of uh, confronting. I mean, think back to what you were doing in January. It was a long time ago. Like, imagine what you would tell yourself uh, if you were able to see them. Uh, with all that's happened, it's, it's so hard to know what we can put our confidence in, what we can put our trust in when it seems like everything is just changing so quickly. Well, tonight, uh, we'd love to share a few moments to share with you guys what is the heart of this community and where we find our trust, what we put our confidence in. And we're going to invite you to join us in this amazing journey of discovering Jesus. But to do this, I want to start uh, with a story about trust. Uh, I'm going to be talking about trust tonight. Uh, you might have heard the story of the scorpion and the frog, uh, this old fable. So uh, for those who don't know it, there's this scorpion and he needs to cross the river, um, but he can't swim. So he looks over, he finds a frog and he says, frog, can you help me out? Can you take me across the river? And the frog looks at the scorpion and he's like, are you serious, mate? You're going to sting me? Uh, and the scorpion says, no, 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 surely, like... If I sting you, if I sit on your back and I sting you, we're both going to die. Like, I won't do that. Uh, and so uh, the frog thinks about it and kind of thinks, yeah, that's a sensible argument, so I'll do it. And so the scorpion hops on the frog and they uh, swim across the lake and then bang, the scorpion stings the frog. And the frog, as they're drowning, looks up at the uh, uh, scorpion and is like, why did you do that, knowing that we would die? The scorpion says, I couldn't help it. It's my nature. You know, was the frog a fool for trusting the scorpion? Would you have trusted the scorpion? You know, I think today, uh, as we think about trust in our culture, we have this kind of view of the frog and the scorpion, that um, people have been stung enough times that trust is really hard. We don't like trusting things. Our culture doesn't know who to trust. And it's putting us out. It's putting us on edge. You know, we don't trust the media to tell the true story. You know, fake news. We don't trust our governments to act justly and in our best interest. I mean, it's interesting watching the news and how much some of our, uh, the state premiers are just getting beaten up. Or think about... Um, Global politics and the dealing with the coronavirus or, or climate change, you know, we don't trust governments. Or uh, we don't trust the police to act impartially, it seems. We don't trust the economic markets to act ethically. I mean, think about the banks and the whole uh, Royal Commission. And, or think about how we trust markets these days. We seem to think that uh, they're profiting off our losses. You know, we don't even trust... We don't really trust entertainment to get the story right. For example, Star Wars had three goes and then another three goes to get it right, but they still can't be trusted with a sequel. Am I right? Actually, I didn't mind the Star Wars sequels, but generally culture seems to be upset and they don't trust. 
So why is it that we are losing trust? Losing confidence in those things that should benefit us and should serve us? Why does it feel like the world is on edge, unsettled, confused? You know, we're seeing an increase in anxiety. We're seeing an increase of uh, alcohol use and domestic violence. It seems like society just is more polarized, more divided than ever. So this is the anxiety and, and confusion and unsettlement. Is this how you're feeling? Unless you're one of those investors in Zoom, 2020 has been a difficult year. It's been hard. And in many ways, it's just been the boiling point of many brokenness that's just kind of been simmering there under the surface. It's been there already. So it's one thing that we've lost trust and we've become more skeptical, but it's another thing that we're more anxious and and angry as a society. And I I just want to kind of uh, dissect these two and and pull them apart because I think we've lost trust in things because they failed us. As a culture, we, we, we feel like we can't trust things because they've failed. Many people have felt the sting of the scorpion, right? But I think our anxiety and our panic has come because of the realization that the things that we look to to put our trust in, in, in wealth, in, in governments acting justly, in, in safety, in security, in entertainment, in pleasure, these things, they, they fail us. They fail. So what are you putting your trust in? What can we put our trust in? At that deep, that deep core, that existential, that like kind of purpose of our existence cry to cling to something, if anything at all, where is their security? Where is their hope? I chose to make a decision as a teen, and it's a decision I have to make every day. What I was trusting in was being loved by people. I'm a middle child, and any other middle childs? Anyone else? Yeah. Yeah, I'm a chronic attention seeker. And what... (laughs) Come on, mate. Uh, And what I crave is affirmation. That's what I was finding my trust in. You know what my greatest fears are? Is being looked down upon or causing fights or there being division and kind of people being upset with me. I wonder what your greatest fears are. But for me, and I know for everyone, the path of popularity is a path of anxiety, constantly trying to keep face, constantly worrying about what to say so that people would like me. That's what I was putting my trust in until... I made the decision, it was in my early teens instead, to put that trust in Jesus. Because I've come to see that he is someone that will not fail. He is someone who loves me despite my rejection of him, who didn't abuse power or condemn me, but has given life for me. He is someone that I put my hope in. A hope that I know is secure 
So as we think about trust tonight, and as we want to share with you what is the heart of this community, it's that we trust Jesus. The Bible describes this hope as an anchor for the soul, uh, an anchor, that, that strong and un, unfailing, uh, that bedrock. We get this in Hebrews 6, verse 19. It says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. But listen, listen to why this hope is steadfast. What this hope achieves for us. He says this, and it's up on the screen there. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. I want to unpack this a bit. What the writer is describing is this beautiful imagery of the Jewish temple. And the curtain depicted the separation that, uh, that existed between us and between a perfect and, and unblemished and, and glorious God. You see, as we talked about all that stuff before, all our anxiety, trying to put our trust in these things is rooted in this problem. See, we're trying to fill something that only God can give us, but there's a barrier, a curtain that's, that exists between us and him. That barrier is what the Bible describes as, as sin. It's our sinfulness. And so in the Old Testament, what would happen is that God would only allow the high priest once per year to go behind this curtain and, and sprinkle blood of a, of a sacrificed animal on the Ark of the Covenant to pay for the people's sins so that God could dwell among them and lead them. You see this picture that the writer of Hebrews is painting of the temple. But you see what was happening there with the priest, it was never enough. What it was is always a shadow pointing to a moment in history when God would prove himself trustworthy. God who loves us would send Jesus. Jesus, as, as a child, as a baby, would be born. He would be called Emmanuel. It's a word that means God with us. A God who would voluntarily lay down his life, a sacrificial lamb, that, that blood that was spilt, dying on the cross. And if you know the Easter story, the last words that Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. At that time, what happened in the temple? This miraculous event is that the curtain is torn. Symbolizing that that barrier between us had, had, had been ripped up and that people could now come to God. A symbol that God could dwell with his people, once helpless, once enemies. Now his children, fully accepted, fully loved. And when Jesus then rose from the dead, as so many of his followers testified to the fact, this hope was sealed. This promise was sealed, an anchor, sure and steadfast. You know, it's, it's hard to resonate with this picture of a Jewish temple. Uh, it's not something that we normally think about or, or can picture. So what I want to do to paint this picture is I want to share a story with you. Uh, and I shared it with the youth on Friday night. Uh, but I want to use metaphors of things that we see around us. Uh, a story that I hope captures why we love Jesus. Why, as this community, we trust him and why we think that this hope is unfailing. So put your imagination caps on. Uh, imagine with me that you've traveled overseas on a holiday. Uh, you went to Italy. You saw the Colosseum. Uh, you then went to England and, and Buckingham Palace and you, you visited there. And then you flew over to Florida in America and uh, visited Disneyland. 
You met so many amazing people. You shook so many hands, it's too many to count. Uh, and you have this great time, and uh, you fly back home. And on your flight home, you're starting to see people wearing masks, and you're like, what is going on there? Why would you do that? Anyway, you land in your home city of Melbourne, and you're greeted off the plane by customs, and you're told that you have to spend two weeks in a hotel room in order to protect the country. But you think, oh, you're just being a bit oversensitive, so you put a fake address on the form, you sneak past the security guard, and you cruise on home. You turn on the telly, and the government is now saying that in Melbourne, if you go outside, you have to wear a mask. But you think, nah, this, that doesn't apply to me, so you go to the shops, you grab some cheese and dip, and you head on to a tapas party. Uh, you love these parties, tasting all sorts of different foods from all sorts of different platters, having a great time. And in the midst of this party, you get a text message. Uh, your brother, who happens to be a doctor, he texts you and he's saying, you need to get tested. You go and get tested. You might have coronavirus. But you think, come on, brother, what does he know? You know what does he know about medicine? Like 10 years of medical school? Doesn't, uh, so you kind of just blow it off. Well, the next day you hear that a few of your friends at this party have gotten sick. Could be a coincidence, could just be some bad salami. Uh, you, don't, you don't really like your friends that much, so you kind of just quietly leave the group text. But then you start to feel a bit tired. You think, nah, I'm sure it's nothing. And then the sniffles come and you think, oh, maybe, maybe an early night and I'll just sleep it off. But at 3 a.m., you wake up and your pillow is wet. You realize you've been sweating like crazy. And then the pain hits you. The fever is like knives in your, in, your, in your head. And your breath feels like fire as you're breathing in and out through your lungs. So you call the ambulance. They take you to the emergency room. The hospital is going crazy. They're out of medicine. They're running out of medicine. They're short on protective equipment. They're, they're short on life-saving ventilators. You're lying in the emergency room table and everyone just seems to be ignoring you. You're in pain. Why is no one coming? And then you look up at the TV, the hospital room TV, and you see there your face on the TV and un underneath with the, the kind of news line says, Beware, super spreader. Last seen at the airport. And, and it's starting to hit you. You're starting to realize what you've done. And you, you realize the doctors are not just too busy for you. They are avoiding you. And this guy does not deserve care. After a few minutes of despair, finally a doctor approaches. Without looking up, you see that he's not even wearing protective equipment and so you ask why aren't you wearing your mask or gloves and the doctor replies we've run out there's there's no more masks hearing the doctor's words your heart sinks because you know this voice it's the voice of your brother you feel sudden shame seize your body you see, you had left your brother to travel 
the world. You, you ignored his messages. You ignored his phone calls. You ignored his emails. In fact, before you had left, you had taken his credit card and you, you'd gone and spent an unimaginable amount of money on an unimaginable amount of things. And the debt owed was just unimaginable. But here your brother was standing next to you when everyone else wouldn't. Your, your brother who you figured would just despise you right now. You owed him so much and what you'd done. You'd ignored him. And over the next few hours, your brother, he treats you. He gives you medicine. And when you're too weak, he, he, he feeds you. You begin to notice that your brother is starting to get sick and you're feeling, you're, you're getting angry at his stupidity. Why would he do this for you? At this point, you're starting to slip in and out of consciousness. Another doctor starts uh, treating you and, you and you wonder where your brother has gone. Maybe he's finally realized that I'm not worth it. All this effort for someone who had just completely rejected him. I don't deserve his help. He, he should look after himself. And you watch more doctors. They're coming into the room and they're flustered and they're arguing with a patient next to you. You then hear his name. It's your brother. Your, your brother is the patient next to you. You catch a few words in the haze of your awake moments. There is only one ventilator left in the hospital. The doctors, they're angry because they want your brother to use it. I mean, he deserves it. But he, your brother, is insisting that they give it to you. Everything goes dark for three days. Eventually, you, you begin to wake up. You, you, you come to, you turn, you look for your brother. But all you see is an empty, uh, the, the, the ventilator and an empty bed. What was before this great shame is now this deep, awe and, and gratitude that just washes over you. Your brother, despite all the ways you had rejected and hated him, he loved you so much to give up his life for you. This, this, this is the message that Christians believe. This is where we are putting our trust. I want to read to you from Romans uh, chapter 5 says this, when we were utterly helpless, Christ, that's Jesus, came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us, sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You see, we had taken God's credit card of freedom and instead of enjoying friendship and, and love with him, we chose to travel far away, spending it all on ourselves. We had ignored his loving warnings and calls to come home. And then while we were completely helpless, God chose not to leave us to die. 
but he loved us, loved the undeserved. This is our message, that that Jesus came to this earth. He took our infection of sin onto himself and and died. So that separation, the the debt that we owed could be dealt with so that we could live. He is not like the scorpion. God wants you and me to live, to know his love, to know his peace, to know friendship. This is the message of the Bible, God's love letter to us. And this is what we at City Reach want you to know. This is what we believe God is like. And he is inviting you and me to know this love for ourselves, for yourself. Changes the way we see the world. Gives us hope in hard times. Because we know that there is a purpose and a future. It gives us joy in every sweet moment as we enjoy what God has given us. He offers friendship. He offers peace. He's made a way for us to come to him. And all he asks is that we trust him. Is that we trust him. That we realize that we can't live our lives our own way Trusting in these other things to fill our hearts other than God without running into trouble. But instead we hand over our life and we let God take control because we know he is good. We sang it before. We know he is full of love. We know that what he did to save us. He's not a tyrant up here who's just saying you know, how we should live. He, he came to us and he suffered and died in our place. So we, we just want to invite you on this journey with us. You are welcome here. And this community called the church is not just a group of perfect people who have our lives together, but just helpless sinners who have discovered amazing love in God through Jesus. So, so infinitely, infinitely worthy of trust. Trustworthy, right? And so if you want, we'd love to walk with you to meet this Jesus for yourself. And so there's this invitation. Keep coming. Keep coming along. Meet us. We want to love you. We want to show you what we found. Uh, there's ways we heard from M before. Join our community groups. Uh, come have a meal on us tonight. Uh, come and chat to us in person or chat to the person who invited you and, and discover this hope that is steadfast, this love that is complete and this life that is to the fullest. That's a bit about who we are, and I just want to pray as we close. So uh, if you would um, do that with me, let's talk to God. Uh, Dear God, thank you so much uh, for your great love for us as we've been reminded what you did for us through Jesus. Thank you so much. And uh, Lord, I want to pray for people here tonight who perhaps have been invited and are just checking these things out. And uh, I ask, Lord, that you might Reveal yourself in such a powerful way to them that they would know that you did not leave them, but you loved them. And that even though um, they've rejected you, uh, that you still are calling to them and, and calling them home. And I pray that you might extend your grace and your love to them and help us as a community to grow deeper, uh, deeper in love and in passion and, and in steadfast trust in who you are, in this amazing hope. That in Christ alone, our hope would be found. Our strength, our portion, Lord, that that would be so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
We're going to sing to finish our service tonight and sing about this great Christ that we love and worship. And so if you're a Christian with us, let's invite you to, on this reminder of what Christ has done for us, just to extend this song as a declaration of trust. And if you're not a Christian here, I just uh, thank you for being here again and invite you as, as you listen to these words uh, that you might catch a bit of why we're so passionate about this, what Christ has done for us. So I invite you to stand and let's sing.